He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. Oh, what a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, July 16, 2022. So pleased to bring you a big show. Paige Mackie Murray in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. What a find she is. She won a big appellate opinion establishing a man's right to not procreate in Colorado. It's a fascinating case. You will learn all about it. We will analyze the Dobbs decision with an appellate lawyer, par excellence. She is a Colorado appellate lawyer. She went to CU Law long ago, very successful, and she is a mother with strong opinions about Dobbs and the women's rights being taken away. She will come up with our featured interview right after we go to the troubadour, Dave Gunders, who has a beautiful song. And that is one that references space, stars, because Paige Mackie Murray's father was the voice of NASA. Can you believe it? His name was Arthur Skip Mackie. And you won't believe how famous he was and the cool upbringing of Paige in Cocoa Beach. But I asked Dave Gunders, to give me a song that references space and the James Webb telescope. And he had the perfect song, as per always, Nothing the Wind Can't Blow. And I have a good discussion with our troubadour. Before we launch into the show, the troubadour, followed by our featured guest, I want to play a confession that really puts the big lie to the big lie. Steve Bannon show-off extraordinaire, podcaster, amazing. Two or three he puts out there every day, grifting on his way, I hope, to prison. He's part of a network that has financed this big crime against America. A lot of lawyers in on it. I will never be one of them. Never. That Mike Lindell money, that Steve Bannon money, I don't like what they're doing to America. They're playing around with democracy. And Steve Bannon got recorded. I think I hear Jack Posobiec in there. Why do I bring him up? Because I've talked about him when he was introduced to Colorado Christian by Randy Corcoran, who is a fanboy of Steve Bannon. A lot of fanboys of Bannon because he knows how to live large. He got caught on some Chinese billionaire's yacht. Follow the money and listen to Steve Bannon shoot his mouth off. And everybody who's following the big lie, you have to hear this. Please listen. Steve Bannon, recorded by somebody in his inner circle before the election ever happened, explaining how Donald Trump was going to lie and cheat and claim he won, even though everybody knows he did not. The Democrats, more of our people vote early that count. Theirs voted male. And so they're going to have a natural 
disadvantage and Trump's going to take advantage of it. That's our strategy. He's going to declare himself a winner. So when you wake up Wednesday morning, it's going to be a firestorm. You're going to have Antifa crazy, the media crazy, the courts are crazy, and Trump's going to be sitting there mocking, tweeting shit out, you lose. <laughs> I'm the winner. I'm the king. And he'll be all over. He'll be, he'll be going, where's Hunter? Is Hunter on a crack pipe? I mean, no. He'll be... Because then it doesn't matter. Remember, here's the thing. After then, Trump never has to go to a voter again. He's going to fire Ray, the FBI director. Fire the he's going to say, fuck you. How about that? Because he's never going to... He's, he's done his last election. Oh, he's going to be off the chain. He's going to be crazy. Also, also if, Trump is, if Trump is losing by 10 or 11 o'clock at night, it's going to be even crazier. Cause no, because he's going to sit right there and say they stole it. I'm, yeah. going to the court, uh, Agreed. I'm directing the attorney general mm-hmm. to shut down all ballot places in all 50 states. It's going to be mm-hmm. no. He's not going out easy. If, Trump, if Biden's winning, mm-hmm. Trump is going to do some crazy shit. Say that for any friends and family who believe the big lie. Steve Bannon is integral, as is Roger Stone. I hope... The January 6th committee gets to the bottom of it. We have one of the best lawyer guests ever, Paige McIntyre, coming up after the troubadour Dave Gunders. Please enjoy episode 105. Thank you. It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. <laughs> now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at MBLaw. LLC.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. I've been fighting for Colorado crime victims for the last four decades. There's a great new Colorado law. It allows victims as far back as January 1, 1960 to hold accountable the perpetrators and the organizations that allowed it to happen. If you were sexually assaulted, now is the time to come forward. Call me anytime you are ready at 303-861-2800. Ask for Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Okay, Troubadour, are you ready or are you all worn out after a hot, long week? I'm ready for the weekend, Craig. My God, I got the hottest I've ever been. I had some work downtown. I brought a change of clothes. I get into Coors Field for a dollar. Senior rock pile ticket. It's empty. You can sit wherever, especially if you walk down with your handful of lunch, which I had, and a Rocky shirt. But then I sat in the sun, and I ate my lunch, and I almost passed out because it was 99 degrees, and I was baking. Have you recovered? Your your audience is expecting you to be at your at I'm your very best. I'm fully recovered. Okay. 
it's uh, spectacular, and I'm not going downtown that much because I've opened my new DTC law firm. Thanks for coming over. I appreciate the welcome to your new life gift that you provided. I'll be over soon. I don't seem to remember a specific invitation, but maybe I missed it. Well, I'm still getting set up, and Uh, I'm so darn busy, but not too busy to walk with you and know how we can get things started and stirred up. Are you ready? Stir it up. I get the New York Times. You did it throughout your life, but I started to realize that it's important because they have articles like this, as you and I talk about nature when we do our walks. I just couldn't believe the New York Times, the paper of record, reported this with such certainty about the James Webb telescope and its findings. Get this. And I told you this on the walk. How can they be this specific? And I quote, The universe was born in darkness 13.8 billion years ago, And even after the first stars and galaxies blazed into existence a few hundred million years later, these two stayed dark. Their brilliant light, stretched by time in the expanding cosmos, dimmed into the infrared, rendering them and other clues to our beginnings inaccessible to every eye and instrument. Until now. On Tuesday, the James Webb Space Telescope, the most powerful space observatory yet built, offered a spectacular slideshow of our previously invisible nascent cosmos. Ancient galaxies carpeting the sky like jewels on black velvet, fledgling stars shining out from deep within cumulus clouds of interstellar dust. Hints of water vapor in the atmosphere of a remote exoplanet. There's some as both a new vision of the universe and a view of the universe as it once appeared new. How can they be that specific? Come on, 13.8 billion years ago. How could they possibly know that, Troubadour? Two words. Doppler effect. I tried explaining this to you, Craig, but it went over your head. No, no. I take it to heart. Explain to the audience, what is this Doppler effect, and how does it allow that degree of precision? The second part of your question, I can't say. I fully understand, but the Doppler effect is basically... The, the idea that if, if, if the radiation that's coming to us at, on Earth, whether it's light or, or, or X-ray or gamma ray, whatever that is, that wave, that the signature of that changes if, that ra- if the source of that radiation is flying away from us very quickly. And it also it gives us um, hints about the actual chemical makeup of, of atmosphere. So it's all based on the, the shifting of of the light. It's unbelievable. It's awesome. But then I am the one who had to come up with the name Doppler because you struggled for it. And me, a C student at best in rudimentary science, I came up with Doppler, I think from Mike Nelson interviews. Will that, you give me that credit? Yes, I will. It was Mike Nelson, no doubt. Okay. He's very, me, he could explain it a lot better than I can. And then as our people are prone to do, we inquired, well, was he a Jewish guy, Doppler? That could be a Jewish name, right? 
Jaime Doppler. Jaime, it must be. But, uh, did, did you research that? I have not. Did you? I went so far as to look up Doppler Effect Wiki, and I stopped when I saw his name. Yeah. Christian Doppler. All right. So not a Jewish name. <laughs> no, not necessarily. I had a beautiful interview with Paige Mackey Murray, and we talked about another famous thing named after somebody, and that's the Petri dish. Or is it Petri dish? Which way do you go on that one? I yield to the bench. Well, the smart appellate lawyer, who is Paige Mackey Murray, corrected me and said it's Petri. And you know what the answer is? It's Petri. In America, it's Petri. In Britain, it's Petri. But who was Petri or Petri? Um, I have no idea. A scientist who... Same nationality as Doppler. Do you know what that was? German. Yes. And what was his first name? Petri? Yes. Peter. Remember Rob Petri from the Dick Van Dyke show? Petri. Rob Petri. Right. Right. We debated that too. Anyway, the Petri dish, because I'm an American, it was Julius Petri. Okay. Is that a Jewish name, Julius? Sounds, it think, I think more of, of uh, Romans. Yes, Julius yes. Caesar. Mm-hmm. But Italian. I think Julius Boros won a major championship, I think the PGA. Anyway, I just want to tell you how many compliments I've gotten. One, I'm sure I'll get them about your description of Doppler. And you talked to me about radiating this and gamma rays and this and that, Ray. And your daughter, you call her Ray. I call have you her Ray. you thought about that? Yeah, I have. You pointed that out. I love that. Right. Is she singing background on this incredible song you have for us, Nothing the Wind Can't Blow? Sarah, my older daughter. Oh, Sarah. She yeah, is yeah. so beautiful on this song. And so you and I always talk about what's coming up. I talked about our star guest, Paige Mackey Murray, she is so impressive, so smart. She's an appellate lawyer with a philosophy degree. You know, it's just different, smarter kind of people who, and I've read her appellate briefs, she's remarkable, but so is your daughter, and so are the issues confronting us. But I said, you won't believe this, what I stumble into, like with Bob Levy. Right. Well, right. Uh, I listened, Paige, yes. you know where she's from? Where she grew up, I told you her dad was the voice of NASA. Yes. Cocoa Beach. How'd you like to grow up in Cocoa Beach? It would have been fun. Right. Remember I Dream of Jeannie? Yes. That's where where Major Nelson lived, right. Oh, okay. Anyway, and so, well, you will hear the rest of it. But I said, give me a song that contemplates the stars above Dave Gunders. And I love to see your human Rolodex go to work. And you came up with this beautiful song, Nothing the Wind Can't Blow. It's got a line in there about a million stars, Bob. What was the inspiration of this little bit of musical genius by you? I wanted to write a song about about persistence, faith, um, and um, keeping keeping a stiff upper lip during times of, of duress. And uh, there was no one in particular. It's, it's not autobiographical, but it's, I, and I envisioned a, a single mother who had a, 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 a young daughter who was sick, so she was dealing with that. And on the other end of her day is her mother who's in a, who's in a home. And in between, she has to work. So it's kind of about, you know, and in, in fact, these days, 
so many mothers are are just you know being pulled in so many different directions. Um, I think it it's probably still still uh, re- relevant, right? And sometimes it involves an unexpected, unplanned pregnancy and awful decisions to be made. And your song is so beautiful addressing this. And Paige Mackie Murray, a strong mother. And who are we to second guess? That's why I went to your daughter, Rachel, who spoke so beautifully about uh, reproductive rights. And now Paige Mackie Murray, I don't think that people appreciated the uh, the just upheaval that this ruling is going to cause. And it's going to divide America. It's going to dictate where people live in the future. I mean, we can take it for granted in Colorado, but Dave Gunders is father of two strong women. If you were living in Missouri right now, Kansas City, Missouri, and you thought about the humidity there and the Chiefs are going to get beat by the Broncos. Now, why don't you say, if I could, I'm going to move to Denver just because women have more rights. It, we're talking about human rights and women's rights, and right. we take it for granted. And, and your daughters are in states that uh, right. are more progressive. Right. But would you want them to live in a state like Oklahoma or Texas right now? Well, it's a shame that someone would have to contemplate moving in order to find a state that 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 allows them to to uh, get medical attention for whatever reason. Um, I just read an article again, speaking of the New York Times, and uh, an obstetrics. Uh, yes. doctor who who specializes in problems and so, you know there's there's a lot of um y- you know f- fetuses that are determined to be sick and would die afterward you know very soon after death i mean right. they know about this he was talking about how, how how frightened he is for his patients he sees them all the time um and these these women are going to have to deliver if they're in those states there's friday afternoon to- you're working hard but i noticed that congress wanted to pass a law that no state can criminalize a woman traveling, say, to Colorado for an abortion. And the Republicans all oppose that. And some of these states are going to criminalize travel to Colorado to get an abortion. Can you imagine how divisive this will be? Well, it's it's one of the divisive, you know, um, subjects that that that's now you know permeating the country. The other the the other is that I sorry to change change the no uh, the subject, but but the other is the idea of state legislate legislatures. Independent state legislatures. Yes, that's, that's another very troubling, very right, troubling. They took thing. that court case. They said everybody gets to carry guns wherever. They also said you can pray wherever, even if you're a public school affiliated official. They're not going to stop. That's why I have smart lawyers on and smart guys like you, because this center will not hold right now. We are living through something really consequential, and abortion is part of it. But the cool thing, and Paige Mackie Murray established this through the Colorado Court of Appeals, she established a right for men to not procreate, that if you use your bodily function to fertilize a petri dish then you don't lose your say over that because you have a right to not procreate so fertility clinics are affected everything is in flux but i don't want a show to go by without me talking about the january 6th hearing 
and I don't know if you kept up this week, it was good, but not great. We're all looking for the goods connecting Donald Trump specifically to the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, and I think that's coming. I really do. And Cassidy Hutchinson, who I wrote about, she is being corroborated left and right, and you can bet that she was thoroughly vetted. And Donald Trump's so concerned he's going to run for president as a shield, but I doubt that's going to work. You can't keep saying they're prosecuting me because they really want to go after you. That's the kind of crap that Tina Peters tried to sell in Las Vegas. She traveled there and told an assemblage of sheriffs, one, you have more power than anybody. You are the elected sheriffs. Another cockamamie theory. But she also uses this bullshit that Peter Boyles used and that Donald Trump uses And that is, when they come after me, they're really coming after you. No, we're really coming after Donald Trump for inciting January 6th. And it's not about these other people. They participated. They bear their responsibility. But sorry for that rant, Troubadour. You know what I mean about uh, that kind of tactic? You just have to be wary of that. Of course, yeah. And, you know, Trump, I hold him accountable for worse than January 6th, but the just the big lie and how that it throws our whole country into uh, just into into this um, continuing disbelief of, of elections. I mean, it's that's the crux. That's the crux of our of our democracy is being is trusting in our electoral system. And uh, and and to me, that's a worse crime that he as president, you know, cast these doubts um, on, on the validity of the election and threw us all into turmoil. Right. You know who's a calming presence and he's growing on me big time is Chairman Benny Thompson. And he started this last hearing by saying in America, this is at the heart of democracy. We settle our differences at the ballot box. And if we can't trust the ballot box, which is what Trump right. does, which is how he cheated to win club championships, just browbeat people, accuse other people of cheating when he's the cheater. And we see right through him. Why can't everybody? It's like a cult. It's really disturbing. And uh, let's do something more pleasant. Hmm. We're going to play your beautiful song. After that, we're going to hear from one of the smartest barristers I've ever met. She's a top-flight appellate lawyer. She won a great case establishing some really important precedents in the reproductive world. Her name is Paige Mackey Murray, but first let's hear from Dave Gunders, our troubadour, his daughter Sarah, in this incredibly beautiful song, Nothing the Wind Can't Blow. Thank you. Thanks, Craig. Making it better Sitting up with her baby child Please little girl tell me what's the matter And I will stay a while Sit right there, I'll tell you the story Where we're from, who you are From the land of milk and honey And a 
deep black sky with a million stars Now she's running late Last one in again Putting on her face Raider boss will understand Later now visits her mama on her own And she sees her slowly fading away now In this so-called home She used to have a smile for everyone around Saying to her children Always keep your head up now Trouble coming down to this, down to this, down to this. All our trouble coming down to this. Nothing that the wind can blow. All our trouble coming down to this, down to this, down to this. All our trouble coming down to this. Nothing that the wind can't blow. Lights turn green, she don't go Got her face in her hands crying for her mama Then she prays for others she don't know She is young and her faith is strong That's how she was raised with a smile and with a song All our trouble coming down to this Down to this, down to this All our trouble coming down to this Nothing but the wind can
during the pandemic and otherwise, a lot of people have so much affection for their pets. That must come up all the time. What's going to happen to Scruffy? What can you tell us about that, Michael Bailey? What you can do is create a pet trust in Colorado. You put money into trust, and then that money is available and earmarked to care for the dog. And it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years, whichever is shorter. And then when the time frame for the trust is up, you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money or I have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals. How cool is that? You can go to Mike Bailey's office and he has offices all over and you could meet at your home, whatever. I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer. So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com. And there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me. Hey, here's some exciting news. I have my own law firm. If I can't help you, I bet I know somebody who can. Here is the phone number at Craig Silverman Law. 303-734-7156. 303-734-7156. If I can't help you with your legal problem, I bet I know somebody who can. 303-734-7156. Now, back to the show. Welcome to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. Hi, this is Paige. Paige, it's Craig. Thanks a lot for doing this podcast. Sure, my pleasure. No, it's my pleasure. And uh, my (laughs) audience is going to have the pleasure of getting to know you. Let's just start with your name, Paige Mackie Murray. Tell us about your name. Well, Paige Mackey is my original name, and when I got married, I changed it to Paige Mackey Murray. Okay, now that I know you pretty well, welcome (laughs) to Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, place where prominent lawyers come to relax, tell war stories, kick around current events, and if it's not too personal, let's talk about sex, okay? Let's talk about making babies, reproduction as it's known. What do you know about I'm blushing. It? Yeah. What, <laughs> uh, well, I have a child. That's the start. Okay. Um, that I have qualifies a in one regard. What else do you know about reproduction? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, well, I know it, having the right to determine reproduction is very important for <laughs> women's equality in the United States. Um, what else do and I where, know? Where have you learned that? Are you educated, perhaps? Um, I am educated. I have a uh, undergraduate degree in philosophy and literature from Oglethorpe University in Atlanta, and then I have a law degree from uh, University of Colorado Law School. Graduated in 1998. Go Bucks. I really had a great experience at CU Law, and now that we've established you're qualified, 
Or are you? Are you active? Give us your bar number if you'd be so kind. 29887. You are in. And I'm in. You are in to talk about the important happenings of the day. But there's a podcast and we have plenty of time and you are super smart and interesting. So let's back it up. I was listening to Ezra Klein. There's a great podcast. And he was talking about geopsychology, how somebody's psychology is determined in part about their by their geography. For example, me, Colorado kid, fourth generation, Denverite, little Boulder, mm-hmm. little Colorado Springs. But you, you don't hail from Colorado. Where do you hail from? I was born and raised in Cocoa Beach, Florida. My father was a NASA scientist or a NASA engineer for um, 40 plus years. And I was raised watching rockets go off in my backyard, rattling the windows, um, surrounded by science. Now, wait a second. Cocoa Beach, I would be remiss if I did not confess that I watched your dad's work on television, but I was more interested in Barbara Eden playing... Jeannie and I dream of Jeannie. Didn't they live in Cocoa Beach? <laughs> Theoretically, it was filmed in Hollywood, but yes, that was the that was the story. Okay, now Major we're... Nelson worked for NASA. We used to call my dad Major Nelson as a joke. So that was the town joke. I mean, people had to pay attention to that show. I mean, it warped a whole generation of guys like me between Barbara Eden and Elizabeth Montgomery in Bewitched. We thought, geez, these doofuses can <laughs> land these wonderful women and they can give them anything they want and look good doing it and cook up great dinner entertaining every other night. You know, maybe that's part of the problems with what's going on right now. Guys felt a little too entitled. Yeah, and that comes a little bit before my time, ever so slightly. Um, I was born in 1970 and I think that was the early 60s those were early 60s shows so I was watching the afternoon reruns right um but I agree that's definitely a you know keep your woman in a bottle correct and let when give her permission to leave I think is how that went (laughs) okay now in my defense the madman era was before my time and honestly by the time I got to see you law Mimi Wesson was there, Emily Calhoun, and women kind of ruled the place. And most of the smart students were women. So, and I had a smart sister. I guess I was on the cutting edge of realizing that women can do it all. (laughs) And and you went about proving it. Okay, back to Cocoa Beach. So did you go swimming in the ocean almost every day? Tell us about life like that. I'm from Landlock, Colorado. Is it all that... We imagine it could have been? Um, it really was. Uh, Kelly Slater is from my hometown. Um, he's a couple years um, behind me. He's a little younger than I am. Um, now, and who, he, who is Kelly Slater? He is the, who is Kelly Slater? Um, he's the best surfer in the world, without a doubt. Um, has won a gazillion titles. Um Better than and that. Surf- better than that guy. Tina Peters snuck into the Mesa County Elections Office. 
Is there a surfer involved in that? Yes, yes. Anyway, I digress. I don't know a lot about pro surfing, but keep going. I'm learning. Yeah, so so he's from Cocoa Beach. Uh, surfing was a big deal in our hometown growing up. Um, and yeah, we were at the beach every day, and I lived on a canal system. They carved a canal system in Cocoa Beach to um, and put hat little little square little boxes of houses along it to house the people working in NASA. And so we could uh, take boats to each other's homes. Um, could, there was a Christmas parade. I think there still is a Christmas parade that goes through the canal system down there. We had manatees and dolphins and in our backyard. So that was really fun. Yeah, no kidding. So were you a surfer girl? Oh, a little bit. I was slightly intimidated. Um, by all the people in the water, uh, but a little bit, yeah. And it, I became more of a surfer as I got older, actually. So these were the indulgent eighties, nineties, the meat <laughs> generated. I mean, what was that like? Did anybody wear clothing on the beach, or what was it? Very, very little, very little clothing on the beach. I have to say, um, yeah, it was the eighties um, on the beach in a resort town. So interesting environment. I was there till I was about 18. And then I, I got out of there. I needed, I needed a new, a new perspective. All right. Let's not sure. leave Cocoa Beach behind that fast. Did you have siblings? I do. I have two sisters. One lives in Atlanta and one lives in Los Angeles. Um, they're older than me. All right. What about I'm your mama? What about your mama? What did she do? Well, my mother was an artist, and she was a stay-at-home mom. Um, both of my parents have died, um, so I'm an orphan. <laughs> um, but yeah, she was an artist and um, a very creative and intelligent person, uh, very different from my father. My father was very intelligent, um, engineer-ish type, so it's an interesting contrast. You know who had that contrast? My guest on episode 102, Jared Polis, and he's on the Axe Files this week, and he talks about that same kind of background, his father, a physics uh, doctorate, and his mother, more uh, progressive, artistic, English major, and they formed uh, a greeting card company, Blue Mountain Greeting Cards. So it sounds like oh. your family, kind of, right? Your your dad was a brainiac scientist. Your mom was a brainiac artist. That's probably accurate. Yeah, I mean, I feel really lucky to have come from both of those. I feel like it's given me a lot of uh, opportunity. Left brain, right brain. What was your mama's name? Susan Leak. And did she take on the name Mackie too? She did when she was married to my dad. Yeah. Um, and she ended up owning a bed and breakfast down in Key West for 20 years. Uh, she remarried um, a man with the last name Leek and lived down in Key West for the last part of her life. Is it still in the family? Can we go? You know, Craig's Lawyer's Lounge can travel. Yeah, it's gone, unfortunately. Hmm. Um, not in the family anymore. Nope. All it right. still exists, but. Well, we're saving the most famous for last, although you are famous, getting more famous all the time with your appellate <laughs> victories. But your dad, Arthur Skip Mackey, I mean, he was more famous than Major Nelson in a way. He spoke to millions, including me, brag on your dad and what he did. And we are going to intersperse some of his sound. 
Lock at Madrid. Madrid has solid lock on the data. And we can okay, we have not separated the spacecraft yet. We have good lock on the data. The vehicle looks like it's coasting normally. Spacecraft separation has just occurred. Both switches looks good. Oh, that's great. He, yeah, he was an amazing guy. He had a way of being able to translate highly technical information immediately off of those old computers, that, which was basically zeros and ones coming off of uh, white pieces of paper. Um, and he was able to translate that information and convey it to the average person in a way that they could understand on the spot. He was and the so voice was, of NASA, right? So he, was the, he became the voice of NASA and he was the one that you heard on the radio calling launches. Um, he ran a telemetry, uh, a telemetry lab in, uh, so a launch facility down in the Cape, uh, Cape Canaveral, and he launched unmanned vehicles for 40 plus years, put vehicles on the moon and did a lot of communication satellites and things like that. So was he a good guy? What was it like to be the daughter? Did you get special access? Um, occasionally we did. Absolutely. Uh, I remember going out to the Cape to see launches, um, a few times for sure. He, uh, he was a very, um, dedicated worker, very focused on his work. He absolutely loved it. And, you know, he was an engineer. So we had the same thing for breakfast every morning. He didn't really care about how he dressed except for on launch day. He had a special okay, sock I'll he buy wore. It. I'll buy it. What was it for <laughs> breakfast? What was it for breakfast? Yeah. An English muffin sliced in half with a certain amount of butter cooked a certain way and a glass of milk and a glass of orange juice. As long as I've known him, that's what he ate for breakfast. Wow. <laughs> that, that's simple and very similar to my one bagel sliced in. No, first I take it out of the freezer. Since you asked, or did you? I'm going to say anyway. Let's hear it. Through the years, you know, there was a time I'd get up for uh, scrambled eggs and this and that or what. But right now, for the last two years, I enjoy taking a bagel, thawing it out in the toaster oven, then slicing it, then putting butter on it, then broiling it to a perfect crispy brown, pulling it out, letting it cool, eating that with about eight cups of coffee, and I'm good to go. <laughs> so you have that little bit of OCD as well. It probably means you're really good at your job. No, it means that your dad and I, we got up there in age and we don't want to put on weight or we would add a bunch <laughs> of other stuff right there. But bread and butter, what more does a guy need, really? Coffee. Coffee. Absolutely. Do you drink coffee? Regularly, yes. Yes, as part of being a lawyer. But... What else can you tell us about your dad, Skip? Because now my audience has heard the sound. It just it's so cool. Your dad was the voice of NASA for crying out loud. Well, let's <laughs> let's take it here. This is one of the greatest weeks in NASA history with the James Webb telescope. What would your dad yeah. be thinking? What does his daughter think? Oh, he would think it's just fabulous. Um, absolutely. He was a huge, obviously a huge proponent of the space industry and like, just, yeah, he would love it. You'd be amazed. Have you followed in? I've been looking at the pictures. 
Right. For but, sure. But a lot of the concepts we are going to get to, like when does life begin and these imponderable questions like, well, how big is the universe? I'm startled to read in the New York Times that they say, I don't know, 13.8 billion years ago. They cut it down to the decimal. This happened and that happened. And we can tell it all because of James Webb. And there's a lot more we're going to learn as we unfurl the telescope further. I mean, we may be on the precipice of an exponential increase in human knowledge. Can we handle it? Oh, I think we can. Um, And yeah, I mean, I guess the universe is expanding, which is making it more complicated for them to figure out the calculations. But no, I mean, we're, we're about ready to see the origins of the universe. Go back far if you you dig far enough. And and you're a philosophy major, right? At Oglethorpe? Where is Oglethorpe? Yes. Oglethorpe's in Atlanta, Georgia. And so I I only made it through, I think I made it through one class of college philosophy, and I realized, gosh, I'm getting tangled up. It's almost like reading your Colorado (laughs) Court of Appeals decision that I was reading. But you are yeah, smarter. It's pain, painful sometimes. <laughs> I know, but where, where, when we find out the origins of everything, what will it be? Oh, I certainly don't have an answer to that question. Um, are you trying to tap into my religious beliefs? Are you trying yeah, to figure out where not? I am with that? What about uh, your dad, Skip, and your mama? Were they uh, were they religious? They were not religious. Um, I would say my father, you know, we talked about it quite a bit, my dad and I, um, but neither of them were. I mean, I think you can embrace that there's a mystery in the universe without embracing a, a, a religious doctrine. You can under you can be comfortable in the unknowing to some degree. I mean, I believe that human beings are limited species. We're limited in what our, our ability to understand the world. And I believe that um, we're learning more all the time, but we don't have it all figured out. And when we get a glimpse of that, which we do not fully comprehend, that's spirituality. And I think it can ultimately be explained scientifically. And we're not there yet. Um, and so I think, um, yeah, I'm not I'm not a religious person in that regard. I have a spiritual side to me. I'm primarily scientific and rational is how I go about understanding the, the world around me. And you take that to your practice of law as well. We are going to get to that, but that was just beautiful, Paige. And I could hear, I think your dad would have said much the same thing, that it's okay if we don't know. Let's keep searching. Maybe you are right, right, but let's not pretend we have the answers that we don't. And if you're talking about faith, well, I mean, I get it from my faith tradition. But uh, is there anybody religious in your family? Your two sisters, are they still alive? Are either of them religious now? Um, They are alive, and no, they're not religious either. No. I mean, my oldest sister converted to Judaism when she was married. Uh, but I wouldn't say that she's a practicing Jew. Um, it does make things simpler. You just go straight to God, no go-between. So maybe right. that was her philosophy. I hope she didn't do it just for 
marriage. She probably uh, had other aspects, but we're not talking about your sister. We're talking about you. <laughs> and uh, tell us how you became a lawyer. When did you realize that was going to be your profession? Well, I graduated, you know, like I said, with an, a literature and philosophy double major, and my intention was to go into graduate school and, and study the same thing. And, you know, studying philosophy is somewhat mentally exhausting. And when I graduated, I was turned in knots, like you said, and felt like I needed to take a break and sort of explore the world a bit. Um, so I took three years off of school and I did a lot of traveling all over the United States and Canada. And that's how I ended up in Colorado. And by the time I settled in Colorado and started thinking about what the next step was going to be, I figured I wanted to do something more practical in the world. I wanted to have, I wanted to be engaged in the world more directly rather than just being in academics. Um, and law just seemed like the right thing to do. Um, and I thought about being a lawyer when I was younger, um, gone through a few, few things. Oh, I'll be an architect. I'll be an artist. I'll be a lawyer. I'll be one of a doctor. Um, and so it wasn't the first time I had thought about it, but that just seemed like the right thing. So I applied to law school and I was already a resident of Colorado. So Colorado was my first choice, moved to the front range and I uh, actually really enjoyed law school. I think my undergraduate degree really prepared me well to become a lawyer. Right. Boom, there it is. And you've done a great job with your law degree. What about uh, your family? Had anybody been a lawyer that you knew about in your ancestry? Well, interestingly, I did, yes, but I didn't know this until I graduated from law school. And the story growing up was that my father's father was a teacher. And he always said, my dad was a teacher. He used to send my letters back redlined, et cetera. And then the day I graduated, he said, you know, my dad was a lawyer. And I said, well, wait a minute, you said he was a teacher. And he goes, well, he was a teacher, but before that he was a lawyer. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yes, um, someone was, my grandfather was a lawyer apparently. Okay, did you have any contacts in Colorado before you got here? And when you first arrived, what did you think? I loved Colorado. I loved the outdoors. I loved mountain biking and skiing and snowboarding and hiking in the mountains and just adored it. I mean, that's really what made me stay here. Um, I lived in Grand Junction when I first got here and I had some friends that I made here. Um, but yeah, that's what kept me in Colorado was just the love of nature. And it's so beautiful from either spot, Fleming Law a little to the west or the new Wolf Law building. Which one was yours when you went to law school at CU Boulder? We were the last year in the old building, so we missed out on the big fancy one. We were in what I think is now the art building, just right. across the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's too bad. You know what they did with that yeah. Fleming building? They filmed that Sean Benet special. They made uh, a replica of the house. Then they got sued by Linwood, but I digress. But I know a lot about Boulder <laughs> through Sean Benet and that part of town it is spectacular, isn't it? Looking up at the flat irons while you are studying. And I loved law school, too. I thought it was like philosophy, but without all the esoteric, I'll never figure out this crap nonsense. <laughs> right. I mean, I kind of liked some of that for a while, but I do like the practical nature of it. Yeah, and I live in South Boulder, so I get to look up at the flat irons all the time. It's wonderful. Except Boulder's a great place to get right. stuck. Yeah. So I take it the Marshall Fire didn't get you or did it? 
It did not. We were, I'm in Table Mesa. And so the Marshall Fire, Mistassa winds went the other direction. But we, a few months later, got evacuated, right? Um, when we had the fire up on, up in the uh, foothills, just outside of my house. Um, so that was a little scary. Yeah, no kidding. But uh, you're a homeowner and uh, Boulder's a great place. You brought up Table Mesa. When I went to see you, Boulder, I shopped at that King Supers uh, in Table Mesa. So I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about that and how that rocked your world. I, I bet you sh- you've shopped there too. I shopped there two or three times a week. That is my store. Um, so yeah, it was it was really profound. Um, and I followed the police scanner and sat in my made my kid stay inside the day that it was happening. Um, so it was terrifying. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I am big on gun control. As you know, I'm pro-choice as well. We're going to talk more about reproductive choice. I've had a lot of guests on who are passionate about the gun issue. I am. I don't see why we need assault weapons in our society. But uh, what about you? How do you feel? Oh, I'm on the same page. I mean, I understand that we have a constitutional amendment that to some extent gives us the right to bear arms, whatever that means. Um, But I do think we have to have some reasonable uh, limits on it. It's just the gun culture has gone out of control in this country. Um, And I just don't see um, the the politicians on the right really offering up any, any solutions that make any sense. Right, except um, the politicians yeah. of the Supreme Court. Let's go there because they <laughs> screwed thing up with that New York State case, and now people can carry in New York City, and municipalities have to find new ways. And my gosh, the lawyers may make money because the rule book has changed on everything with these <laughs> five or six. Republican politicians who never would be voted in by the public, they are going to rule us and possibly for decades. And I'm getting fired up, but uh, I have you on because really women have a bigger stake in this. It's their bodies and uh, the Dobbs case, the Dobbs case reversing a right that's so old that it was entrenched by the time I got to law school. Happened in 73. I grew up in Colorado. I knew Colorado authorized abortion from ever since I could remember. Republican John Love was the governor. He signed the bill in. And we've never had to question abortion rights in Colorado, and hopefully we never will. But our surrounding states just suffered a body blow. The poor women there. I think Denver's going to get a lot more crowded because of this, but not for the right reason. I'm afraid that America could come apart over this. What do you think, Paige Mackie Murray? Well, I have I have similar fears that you do. I mean, I was born in 1970. I'm 52 years old. My entire life, I've assumed that these rights that the Supreme Court um, has acknowledged over the years are established rights. Um, And as a lawyer, I rely every single, as an appellate attorney, I rely every single day on precedent as the core foundation of what I do. And so it's been a huge blow um, and it's terrifying. Um, I don't think we've seen the the Supreme Court take away a right like this, especially not one that's been 
established for a lifetime. Um, and this is this is something I could just talk about forever. So stop me if I ramble. But well, I you mean, know what? I, I just want to tell everybody your bona fides. They understand you are smart. Hell, you went to see law school. You got to be smart. But it's not just that. You have the gift of being an appellate lawyer, where you deal with case law every day. This is your bread and butter. And it affects you more than most people. Tell people the life of an appellate lawyer and why you chose it and why you might be in a better position to talk about the important the importance of precedents and story decisis than I could be as just your run-of-the-mill lawyer. You are specialized. Talk about that, Paige. Well, and this maybe is speaking to laypersons rather than lawyers right now, but yes. um, and that's fine. Um, so appellate attorneys don't we don't do trials, right? We're we're not as as focused on establishing facts for determination of you know what happened um, and who's to blame, et cetera. We're interested in the law and the bulk of our arguments to the higher court. We bring cases to the higher courts when um, someone's uncomfortable or unhappy with a, uh, a lower court decision, or we defend that lower court decision in the higher courts. And the issues we raise are legal issues, their analysis of statutes, their interpretation of existing case law. We craft arguments based on existing case law. Case law builds on itself. So the Dobbs decision, for instance, says, um, you know, we're not, we're not what, what Dobbs said was, this is limited only to abortion. Um, but we are limiting what substantive due process rights um, can be established. And that creates a precedent. So the next case that comes down the line is going to make a new argument. And they're going to say, well, um, contraception is now a problem for us. And so we're going to cite the Dobbs decision as a foundation decision. And so law builds on itself. Each case looks to previous cases. And it's a way to slow down changes in the law, make sure the law moves very, very slowly rather than having these huge decisions that create such upheaval in society. Um, and that's why this is so disturbing for someone like me, because it's it's a 50 plus year press or 50 year precedent, arguably that substantive due process of the 14th Amendment, it goes back even farther, right? Because we have like the Skinner case um, and earlier cases dealing with involuntary sterilization and whatnot that kind of started this, this idea that the Constitution protects your body and protects your privacy. Um, so it even really goes farther than that. But, but Rose, 50, 49 years old, and they completely overruled it. So it, it, it turns everything upside down because we have case after case after case that's been decided since then that relies on that. So what do you do with all those cases that have come down since? Um, it's just, it's like the ground, the carpet getting pulled out from under your feet or the ground being pulled out from under your feet. Right, but, but um, they, they, they laid the groundwork a long time ago and they had a plan and I heard about it on the radio. Dan Kaplis would, was a big part of it. But there were smart lawyers and there was the Federalist Society and the Republican Party made it a yep. litmus test. And they said, we're going to get enough judges to do this someday and we're going to do the Merrick Garland shenanigans, whatever it takes. And then unlike a normal case just bubbling to the surface, this whole Dobbs v. Jackson was a plant by the same 
actors saying, this is what Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito and their new brethren want, and let's give it to them. Let's pass a statute like this, and Texas did their thing, and all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. these guys changed law fundamentally, and now they're fixing to do it on a host of things. They did it on guns. Yes, and and they they are going to change America for decades to come and make your job and my job more difficult because what is the rule of law now? Whatever these guys who are religious political figures want it to be, I always said that the Constitution means whatever the Supreme Court says it does, and now we're being ruled by these guys who are not from Cocoa Beach. <laughs> and maybe there will be a movement now to structurally change the way things are done. I mean, not not to, you know, and we didn't even mention this, but uh, three of the appointees, arguably two of them lied uh, to Congress and or to the Senate, and and one of them was stolen. That and position was stolen was from, from Obama. Bo- one of them owned property in Boulder County. Gorsuch, my God, and he got educated at Christ the King Catholic Church at 8th and Elm in Denver before he got swooped up and he went to that Georgetown prep school where Kavanaugh was also uh, attending. They were two years apart. I've talked to lawyers who went there with them. All right, let's and I and I've met Gorsuch and I've seen and I actually had a tremendous amount of respect for him. I didn't agree with his politics, but I I actually thought he was a um, respectable jurist and an intelligent man. Um, and so I was I'm really disappointed. I actually I, I defended him slightly more than people who usually walk my political path. Um and got into arguments with people, and now he's let me down. I'm like, wow, I really thought he might have been okay. <laughs> where, where did you meet him at? In Boulder? Yeah, just, you know, doing, uh, I'm involved in um, appellate, uh, doing the, the annual appellate update, CLE. I'm mm-hmm. on the, and, and so I do those every year, and I, he's been a guest speaker for those, and so I've met him a few times doing that back in the day. And I was inclined to like him. I wish he would have gone to East High School instead of that uh, church school because I've met a lot of his golf buddies who told me they would go to Twilight and they'd play City Park and that's cool. And then he was buddies with my old basketball pal, frequent guest in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge, Tim Temkovich, who's the chief judge of the Tenth Circuit. And those guys are buddies. But holy cow, Neil... I yep. mean, it, you just rocked everybody's world, and I don't think uh, America's standing is is what it was before this damn decision. Don't you think America is diminished by what's happening in the Supreme Court right now? I mean, absolutely. I went into law because of my love for this country's protection of civil liberties. That is where my patriotism came from. I was like, I love the way this country protects us and grows and develops to be a forefront in the world of what freedom looks like. And we're just not that anymore. Um, After this, uh, you know, I don't know where we're going to stand in the world. I mean, Ireland and Mexico have more protections for uh, reproductive rights than we do at this point. And the people went to the streets. The people went to the streets. 
what are you going to do? I hope they do? go to the voting booths. I hope well, they go right. to the voting booths. But, but um, you can't vote out Supreme Court justices. No, but you can vote in enough people to hopefully have some federal laws that protect us. But I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if we need to have changes in the way the Supreme Court operates. Um, I, I mean, I don't know how I feel about stacking the court. There's been a lot of discussions about that, but increasing the number of justices to dilute any particular president's power. Um, I'm not sure. I think we're all kind of sitting back in the corner, licking our wounds, trying to figure out what the next step is. Absolutely. And I read a great appellate opinion, great from my perspective, because it made common sense to me. It understood men's rights. It understood the separation of church and state. It's the Olson case. And I said, wow, I want to meet the winning lawyer. So I called you, Paige. And then we started talking and we agreed about our positions on abortion and woman's right to choose. And then we talked about that 10-year-old being raped in Ohio. I forget which one of us brought it up, but I said, gosh, we have to be careful because people are wondering whether it's true or not. It was a single source. And and we both said, whether it's true or not, there are 10-year-olds who get raped and get pregnant. So there's a realistic situation. And darned if it didn't prove to be true. And unlike you and I talking about being careful, Cretans like the Ohio Attorney General and Jim Jordan, that uh, Trump-licking rep from Ohio, who looked the other way at the sex assaults at Ohio State. Looking forward to that George mm. Clooney movie. But they said, yeah, the left made up that uh, rape 10-year-old. It didn't happen. Just another uh, piece of misinformation or disinformation from the Democrats. Well, it turned out to be true. And a 27-year-old named Fuentes has apparently confessed to twice having inflicted himself on this 10-year-old. And the proof will be in the tissues. The DNA will show whether it happened. And I believe it did because he's charged with a crime. And, oh, my God, react to the sadness of that. And the people on the other side, they can't. Because are you really going to mandate that a 10-year-old bring that child to term? Really? If you can... Anyway, I've babbled on. You're a woman. How do you feel about this? Well, first of all, that's one story of uh, many, many stories that you're not going to hear about, right? That's the one story that made it into the public's eye. And my first year of... uh, clerking on the court of appeals I clerked for judge Janice Davidson and although I was clerked for her for two years and the first year I did nothing but criminal cases and I was overwhelmed by the amount of child sexual abuse cases that came in front of me and these are cases that were a reported and then prosecuted and then went up on appeal so how many more are there out there Um, and any 10 year old who gets pregnant was raped I mean that's just how it is um, by someone Um, so yeah, it's it's an appalling story, and it's I think it's evidence of what happens when the you know to use a an analogy that's been used a lot is when the dog finally catches the car. Like, there's so many consequences of this that may that I'm convinced people haven't thought through. They've got this myopic vision about the value of fetal life, and it overrides every other consideration. And to me. Abortion is about the 
role of law in our lives. And these situations are fraught, every situation, not just a 10-year-old being raped, but any woman who's presented with this choice of being pregnant and not wanting to be pregnant for an umpteen number of reasons, um, or her life is in danger or whatever, there's a million factors that could be in play. And the question is, who gets to weigh those factors? Who gets to determine whether divergent beliefs about fetal life and all these other factors, what the outcome should be? I believe it's not the law. I believe individuals have to make those decisions. Um, and I don't want the law making those decisions. So that's kind of what I think the abortion debate is about. It isn't about any one thing. It isn't about necessarily just about bodily autonomy or fetal life. It's about the role of law in our lives. Absolutely. I don't want it either, but it's here and we have to deal with it. Before we leave Gorsuch, you can say anything else bad about him, but don't forget Kavanaugh. What do you make of that guy? Is <sighs> If you want to say something about Justice Kavanaugh, go ahead. Something about Justice Kavanaugh in particular. Well, I want, I'm curious about how his position evolved going into this opinion, um, for one thing. But, I mean, I just don't think we should have justices on the Supreme Court who have credible accusations of sexual misconduct against them. Um, that's probably the biggest thing I think of with, with Kavanaugh. And did you regard it as credible when you examined the evidence? I did. I did. I, I think so, too, especially given the calendar entries, etc. And I'm not sure we want to categorize him as a rapist, but he did something that was impactful and bad and sexual. And uh, I think that through that process, he became beholden to people. But Sam Alito, that guy, I don't know what formed his brain. And Clarence Thomas, that guy should be impeached. His wife is knee-deep in this January 6th Trump coup. And it's just outrageous that America is going to be ruled by guys like Clarence and Ginny Thomas. And it's and it's it's kind of crazy to me that from what I understand, there are no ethical rules that that guide the Supreme Court um, in the way that they do at the state level and probably at other federal levels. Um, I don't propose to be a an expert at that, but my understanding is there there aren't the same sort of ethical rules that that cover them other than impeachment. Um, and maybe that needs to change. They have to call. Maybe fouls. we need to start having some criteria. Yeah, they have to call fouls on themselves. And uh, right. you know, if you have honorable people, but again, Jenny Thomas, I don't know. What about Amy Comey Barrett? I mean, Amy Coney Barrett. Oh, excuse geez. me. What, she's a woman. You're a woman. Any thoughts? Um, separation of church and state is a thing. <laughs> that matters in this country. Well, Lauren Boebert uh, says it doesn't, and she almost got her GED. Oh, wait, maybe she passed her GED, but she's up there <laughs> lecturing in Colorado churches about there's no separation of church and state. In fact, the church should be dominant over this state. And we're getting to your appellate case where yeah. I think that kind of argument was made and briefly. But I wonder how they would feel about a... Um, a Muslim praying on the 40-yard line to Allah on their blanket, would they have the same reaction? I mean, it's, it's, 
separation of church and state protects religion. It protects Christianity. Um, and that's the piece I think is getting lost in this, is we really do need to separate them for everyone's sake. You know what I think is cute about that description? And I do want to talk about that Kennedy case about the coach praying. That you said it was mm-hmm. on the 40-yard line. And oh, I don't. Did I say that? No, but that's okay. <laughs> One, I mean, it's like next to the people praying at the 50-yard line. And wouldn't they feel second class if they didn't get the 50? Anyway, your point is so well taken. And the most disturbing thing about the Gorsuch opinion there is that he said, yeah, it was a private prayer and the guy didn't attract that much of a hubbub, whereas the dissent said, holy cow, here are the pictures. It became an event after every game. And look, I played team sports. That was my life. And to have a coach who leads Christian prayers after a game, give me a break. That's not fair to anybody. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. All right, let's talk about your big win, because this case blew me away. It shows how Colorado is different, and what a great lawyer you are, because you were indomitable in this case. Could you tell us about the Olson case and the fascinating issue that you were hired to work on? Sure. Um, I have to be a little careful because uh, we're still within the time frame for the parties to petition for cert in the Colorado Supreme Court. So it's still a kind of an active case. So um, I'll share public information with you about that case. Um, I was asked to represent um, a man, Justin Olson, who was uh, divorced from his ex-wife and they were fighting over um, frozen pre-embryos from their IVF that they engaged in when they were married. Um, the uh, His ex-wife wanted to donate the pre-embryos to um, other couples because she believed that they were um, human lives and didn't want them destroyed. Um, and my client wanted not to do that and didn't want children out there in the world that he wasn't uh, a part of their lives. And so they uh, went before a judge in Colorado Springs who ruled in her favor, gave her the pre-embryos. We appealed to the Court of Appeals. The Court of Appeals agreed with us and said, um, you can't uh, weigh her belief uh, or her moral views of the destruction of the embryos weightier than his desire to avoid procreation. And she they was, sent it back. She, uh, okay. Go ahead. Now, but, but she was religious and she testified she had a religious conviction that these frozen pre-embryos in a Petri dish were uh, protected according to her faith. Yeah. Well, that was in the second opinion. Okay. Um, I mean, it was in the first opinion, but the, her, the religious aspect of her beliefs wasn't at the forefront uh, in the right. first appeal, because well, there were two appeals here. Right. So, so the bottom line right. is you have a couple, they went through a fertility process, they, it worked because I think they had twins together. Then there were some extra frozen pre-embryos. And the dispute was the dad said, I'm done. I'd like those discarded now. And mom said, no, don't discard them. Uh, use them for human life down the road. Am I right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that that's correct. Okay, and so the Colorado um, Supreme Judge says, I'm going to rule for mom, and then you appealed, and what happened? Yeah, the, the, the district court ruled for mom. We appealed to the Court of Appeals. Meanwhile, um, in the middle of our appeal, the Supreme Court of Colorado came down with honorary marriage of Rooks, which established, because when, when our appeal happened, there really was no precedent in Colorado for what to do in these situations. So while our appeal was pending, uh, the Colorado Supreme Court came down with Rooks and established a multi-factor balancing test um, that looks at the specific interests and weighs them. Um, I'm and I had those, the multi-factor I had, balancing right. test. <laughs> I had those lawyers in Craig's Lawyers Lounge on the radio. As I recall, was that Glenwood Springs? Somewhere on the Western Slope. And Colorado Springs, yeah. No, on on Rooks was a Colorado Springs. Case. Oh, Rooks. I think Rooks oh, was sure. a Glen, Rooks was a Glenwood Springs case, but your okay. case, Olson's a Colorado Springs case. So now you have uh, a big Supreme Court opinion. You're back. What happens next? So we rebriefed the case. Um, we had to do, file supplemental briefs um, to now analyze it via Rooks, and the court said what I told you before about not weighing her moral beliefs higher than um, his interest in avoiding procreation. But the court sent it back down to the district court to apply the Rooks factors, which makes sense because they didn't have the benefit of those factors when it originally decided the case. So uh, it goes back to the same judge and the judge does the same thing again. And then we appealed again and it went back up only this time religion, her religious beliefs were more at the forefront of her arguments. One of the arguments they made was that um, by not considering her religious beliefs, uh, the, the, the court was hostile to her religion, citing the Gorsuch dissent and masterpiece cake shop. Um, so and what, that was, what was her stated religion? Um, I think she was Catholic. Yes, I read your persuasive brief. And you had testimony to that effect. And she was taught yeah. and she believed that uh, from the moment of conception, that's a human being worthy of the same protection as you or me. And right. some people believe that way. Now, the judge is Judge Schutz down in Correct. Colorado Springs, S-C-H-U-T-Z. And if that name sounds familiar, and it doesn't to me really, other than I knew that Jared Polis was once Jared Polis Schutz, and then he <laughs> changed his name to Jared Schutz Polis. He said to honor his grandmother, June Polis, but I think it's a better political name, Polis, than Schutz. And then after Judge Schutz ruled again for uh, the mother in this case, Judge Schutz was elevated by Jared Polis to the Colorado Court of Appeals. Isn't that right? Correct. So Jared Schutz Polis appointed Judge Schutz <laughs> to the Colorado Court of Appeals. And I think I have that all correct. And David Axelrod on that podcast, I'm plugging for him at the 28-minute mark, they get into an extended discussion about the changing of the name. And have you ever run into two people named Schutz or even one before this? I don't think so. <laughs> Right. If I had, I didn't take notice. Um, yeah. Anyway, so um, so good judge Schutz rules against your uh, your client, the man, one more time. Then what happens? 
Well, his ruling really emphasized the strength of her beliefs um, and basically said, well, she, she basically feels more strongly than he does, and we have to consider those beliefs. Um, and so it went back up to the Court of Appeals again, and and so we won. And so the Court of Appeals ruled in our favor and ruled um, that he basically did the same thing he did before, which is he weighed um, her religious beliefs higher um, than his right to avoid procreation. And, and it's interesting because this case is really grounded in the constitutional right to, of, to procreate and to avoid procreation. And the court said those were equal rights. Um, and so that's very interesting um, in light of the Dobbs decision, like where do we stand now? Um, and, and part of that that I think is really interesting as well is that and it, this goes more to the to the Dobbs decision is the the right to procreate. I think is also at risk here. These privacy rights, these innate um, civil liberties that surround having children, um, deciding when you want to have a child, also protect your right to have children. So I think at some point we're going to have to talk about the impact this has on involuntary sterilization and eugenics. I mean, because to me those privacy rights encompass that as well. So I don't know. It's really interesting now. I don't know where we go from here. Do you realize um, what you did, Paige McIntyre? You won a right for men everywhere in Colorado. And I want to be the first man to thank you. Because up until I read this case, I never heard about a man's right to not procreate. But Well, you- and that's an, very interesting because you have to think also um, this case, because the pre-embryos have not been implanted in a, in a womb, they're like, you, Petri dish, I think is not actually correct, but they're in some sort of small dish and frozen in a lab. We don't have the same bodily autonomy issues that you have with um, abortion. So we don't, it's once the, once the pre-embryo is implanted in a womb, then you're dealing with the woman's bodily autonomy. And so I'm not sure that the men's rights piece is going to invade into that realm. Although right. everything appears to be up in the air right now. I know, <laughs> including my autonomy, because I'm smart enough to know you took just a little bit of a dig because you're a scientist's daughter in my pronunciation of Petri dish, which is a Petri dish. <laughs> and then you said that's not even the right kind of dish, Craig. But when I think of Petri... I think of Rob and Laura Petrie, right? Of Dick Van Dyke, another wonderful wife who could host quite a dinner party. And this gets in the way of my best abortion argument where I say Petri dish all over the place. Tell me the right term. I don't know. <laughs> now you have me questioning myself. Is it Petri or Petri? I don't, I'm not sure. And I think um, I gave you my example the other day, and you said, well, I've heard that before, which kind of stung, because I think I made it up. But it could be that other people heard it, and then it got all the way around to you. But it goes like this, that I'm walking down the street, and there's the fertility clinic, and a fire is blazing, and I want to be a hero, but not necessarily die. And I can save a box full of I used to say Petri dishes. I can't even say Petri dishes, but dishes containing these frozen pre-embryos. And I can save the box full of frozen pre-embryos or 
the security guard who's laying on the floor passed out from smoke inhalation. I think I should save the security guard rather than the box of frozen pre-embryos. And that's just my good common sense that God gave me. And I do believe in God. Does that make sense? Well, and I even think when we talked before, you threw a dog in the mix. Yes, I'd save a dog too. (laughs) If there was a dog that was, you know, with a security guard, I'd save the dog. Yeah, regardless of breed, by the way. Well, and I think what that gets to is, uh, and maybe that's you. I don't know how someone, what someone else might do in that situation, but I do think there's sometimes. I think the the anti-choice folks are, and I used the word myopic earlier, but I think it's there's some bit of an abstraction here about the value of life at conception that maybe isn't um, an innate natural uh, reaction no, that a lot of people it's have. It's religious. Yeah. And, and, and Krista Kaper is plenty smart. And she's a columnist for the Denver Post, and she was a talk show host. And we would debate this issue because she was adamantly pro-life. And she took the position that the worst thing is throwing away these uh, frozen pre-embryos because they are human. It's past the point of conception. And even the embryo or the almost-born baby killed in a partial birth abortion, as they like to call it, that is, uh, at least that baby experienced the love in the womb of the mother. That was her thinking, that these wow. poor little zygotes, they never got to feel the love, the warmth of the mother that aborted further along fetuses felt. And I'm like, well, how are you going to argue with that? Because that that's just pure religion. That's, that's belief that upon conception, uh, that's a human being. I wait until they're being with a functioning brain. That's the other example I use, which is if I have a carrot seed and some soil and I plant it the right distance below and the sun comes out and there's some photosynthesis, well, I have a prospective carrot, but it's not a carrot yet. It's a possible carrot. It still has to go through these 100-degree days, et cetera, right? It's not a carrot any more than that pre frozen preembryo is a human being. Well, and I think what's interesting is I've had somebody ask me this, but isn't doesn't it have human DNA and isn't it a human being? And aren't the, and aren't the, I think we're asking yeah. the wrong question. Right. Aren't, aren't, aren't that's the, the wrong I'm, question. I'm, right. And and just because my, the right question is what value do you place on that particular form of human life? So and I think the value changes. So, for instance, if someone is brain dead in the hospital without any brain functioning, there's still a human life. Do you, who are you going to choose if you had to pick between that person and someone else? Like, which you know, so that's just another example I just came up with. But it's about the value we place on that human life, um, and people do that differently based on their view of the universe. Right. And and the point I wanted to make, non-scientist that I am, cells dividing. I mean, right, I get it. And there's carrot DNA, the cells are dividing. There's human DNA. Of course there's human DNA. But we're talking about human beings. We're talking about legal rights. We're going to give, uh, right. you know, this this frozen pre-embryo all the rights of a human, including if 
somebody sets that facility on fire? Is that a wrongful death? I mean, how far are we going to go with this? And let's not forget the the vast number of natural miscarriages that occur in natural pregnancy. I mean, God's pretty cruel if that's if he's murdering that many children for natural causes. And every one of those uh, I mean, need to be investigated in Oklahoma and Texas, don't you know? Apparently. Apparently. I mean, talk about criminal justice issues. I asked Heidi Ganahl on my show. I said, say there's a Republican wave and the Senate repeals the Colorado law that Polis just signed and they ban abortion or they pass a law uh, in Oklahoma that criminalizes the 17-year-old who comes to Colorado for an abortion and you get uh, the arrest warrant. You have to sign off on that. Will you? Will you return her to Oklahoma to face charges? And I got a hubba da bubba da. You know, I'm not going to answer hypotheticals, but these things really will happen just like 10 year olds really will get raped and get pregnant and need abortions. Well, and women will get abortions. I mean, women will figure out how to do it. They, I mean, abortion is a very simple procedure at the early stages. Women will figure out how to do it themselves safely. I mean, there's the abortion pill. There's new technologies coming up all the time. I mean, it, it, the question really is, you know, I mean, and, and I say women will do them safely and plenty of women will have abortions that are not safe. And it's very, it's a dangerous situation. And so, I mean, I think when Roe v. Wade was passed, the reason Roe v. Wade was, was uh, I say passed, that's not decided. The reason that the culture had changed to the point of doing that was my understanding. I saw some statistics, it was like, close to a million women were having illegal abortions every year and and it, they were dangerous and it was just time to say okay like it's like prohibition um there are some things you just you just have to acknowledge and i think the goal needs to be to try to reduce the numbers of abortion with uh free contraception and sex education and all the things that the right wing also doesn't want um but that's how you that's how you make abortion a non-issue Right, but it's going to be an issue for the foreseeable future, and I don't know. Sure is. Well, well, people, I think Colorado's going to grow. Don't you think that a suburban housewife raising a teenage daughter in Kansas City, they don't want to be subject to Missouri's laws, and if they get a chance, they'll move to Denver or to Boulder. Don't you see? Absolutely. And then we'll get Absolutely. further divided. I think so. I really do. And I think I'm already hearing this on social media. I'm seeing people saying, I am in Texas and I have a situation and I'm wondering if I should leave and move. And everybody's like, yes, you should. You should leave. <laughs> I mean, we are going to see an influx of people um, coming to Colorado, if not permanently, then at least to, to receive the medical care that they need. Um, and how does and that, I, you know, uh, uh, what is the future of the United States? How united can we be when we are so divided on these issues? Yeah, that's, is that a rhetorical question? No, no, I'm, I'm just worried, I'm worried about violence because, you know, I've been part I of the criminal too. justice system. And if they're going to take it so far as to say no, you know, that, that uh, thing that's not in the Petri dish, but it's a frozen pre-embryo, and if you do anything about that, then you are killing a human being. And if you keep saying, and it's kind of the QAnon thing, and it's been the right-wing call, they're coming for our children. They're killing our children. We have to strike back. 
They are monsters. And then violence becomes justified. We've already seen some violence around this issue. And I'm just worried about it. Um, I am too, and I'm worried about, I'm really worried about uh, extradition. I'm worried about the right to travel. I'm worried about laws that are going to start getting passed that are really intrusive laws. Um, and I joke around I'm because I'm, I'm willing to volunteer to help women, uh, poor women who need to come here. I'm willing to do what it takes to be a part of that movement. And I joke around. I'm like, there'll probably be a, a warrant for my arrest in a couple of states here in a couple of years, right? I mean, I, this may be my last trip to Florida. Um, this may be my last trip. Well, I don't go to Texas regularly, but you know, I, I won't be kiteboarding in Southern South Texas anytime soon. Are you willing to go um, that far, Paige? Oh yeah, I am. And how many women do you think are similarly activated? Or do you think that's many. a lot? Many, 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 many. Most of the women I know have are, are looking for a way to help. Is it enough to make a, a big difference at the ballot box? I hope so. I really do. I, I mean... That's that's the big question, isn't it? Is this going to bring out the voters? Um, is it going to change uh, apathy? Because we have the numbers on our side. Uh, there are more people that support abortion rights than people who don't. Um, and I think that's been proven um, in a number of polls and studies. And so the really question is we have to get people to the polls. I mean, get people to the voting booth. Uh, Right. I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to do. I don't either. Besides volunteer and vote. Let's hope for the best vote. and do podcasts, but let's consider the worst. Donald Trump says he's going to run in his way. I've already decided. And of course, he wants it as a defense for all the crimes he committed on January 6th. And we don't need to talk about that other than for me to tell you I'm following every inch of this and the guy's guilty as hell and if he gets away with it it's terrible and if he gets away with it and he becomes president again Katie barred the door I haven't really brought up Donald Trump but I did just now what do you think of the man and could America <laughs> withstand another Trump administration no I, I, I'll t tell you that there will be riots in the streets um after this um i mean I, that's how i feel i yeah but they have know. all the weapons they do <laughs> you have your philosophy degree from ogletorp i have my law degree and your that's ZU my law degree. i know what can we do in the court seriously i feel like there's a special response special responsibility placed on lawyers do you agree Yes, I do. And and there's all these people are, oh, we're going to move to Canada. We're going to, you know, do all this. And it's tempting, right, to say to abandon ship. But I'm dedicated to this country. I've dedicated my career to American legal system, to advocating for the things I care about in that system. And I'm not going to jump ship until well, I absolutely have to. Well, well, yeah. you're, you're the daughter of Captain yeah. Skip Tracy. You've given over an hour of your time to me, and you were marvelous in Craig's Lawyer's Lounge. I hope you enjoyed the experience. <laughs> I did. It's been really fun. I'm super glad that you had me on. Uh, thanks for letting me talk about things I care about. How can people find you if they need a great appellate lawyer or, or a philosopher king, or queen, excuse me? 
<laughs> um, they can find me online at appealscolorado.com or pagemackymarylaw.com, but it's the same site. All right. It's appealscolorado.com. Say that again. Appealscolorado.com. Well, I find you very appealing. <laughs> well, I'm trying you. to make you, you blush again at the end of our interview. I am. No one can see it, but it's true. Well, I have a smile on my face because you are a delight. Thanks a lot for doing it. Let's stay in touch. Will do. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a great day. Bye. Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So by setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined, it's all set up. So there's, it's like the, the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey because who should have this? It's probably somebody close. Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaelbaileylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Hey, I have some exciting news. I am starting my brand new law firm. It's Attitude, mine. The legal skills, mine. The support staff, incredible. Find us online soon at craigscoloradolaw.com. Find me right now on Twitter at craigscolorado. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Hey, I told you this was going to be a great show, and indeed it was. We're not the only podcast in town, not even the only one in Colorado. I referenced The Axe Files. It was a good interview with Jared Polis. I gave Polis a lot of crap about running for president. So did David Axelrod. I'm going to try to get Axelrod on my show because being a Colorado broadcaster, it's suddenly super prestigious. Jason von Tatenhoff. Do you know Jason? He testified before the House Select Committee. It's a Colorado podcaster. His show called Colorado Switchblade. And it's out of Estes Park. Sort of interesting. 
Now I feel like it's a competition. He got a head start by being a witness in front of the January 6th Select Committee because he was the propagandist, media master for the Oath Keepers, and now he realizes that this group was going to do bad things on January 6th and beyond, and he should know because he lived with the leader of the Oath Keepers for eight months. It's a long story, but give a listen to Jason von Tatenhoff, and I know how to pronounce his name because I've listened to his podcast. This is what he told Congress in America at the January 6th hearing that I'm going to follow this coming week, hoping that a smoking gun or two or three or four emerge. Here's Jason von Tatenhoff. I think we need to quit mincing words and just talk about truths. And what it was going to be was an armed revolution. I mean, people died that day. So there you have it. What a show. Thank you, Troubadour Dave Gunders. Nothing the wind can't blow. What a beautiful song. Thank you, Sarah Gunders, singing so beautifully in the background. Paige Mackie Murray, you are smart. See you law school smart. Way to go. Keep going strong. Try not to get arrested. But if you do, call me. I'm at Craig Silverman Law. New location. I look forward to working with you and your family if you ever have legal needs. That's our show. Episode 105. Over and out. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.